Well, hello again, Trinity Church. Um, I was, man, as we were worshiping there, I was just remembering this definition of worship that I heard once, the people of God in the presence of God singing the praises of God together. Isn't that awesome? Just hearing this anthem of praise in this room is just wonderful. And I'm going to add one more thing, pursuing the purposes of God together. And that's what we're going to do as we open our, the Bible and dig into the scriptures this morning. So our lead pastor, Todd Arnett, is away this weekend. He's preaching up in the desert. He's going to be back with us next week. And uh, we can be praying for, for them. This is an important weekend for he and his family and for the High Desert Church. So let's be praying for them today. And um, I just love hearing the stories of what God does through our global workers just spent some extra time with Ray and Ramona and uh, Dora yesterday. Just awesome. So you want to be inspired. Come out today just to hear more in this afternoon. We're going to be partnering them on this mission trip that you heard about. And uh, we're going to be un- unveiling these trips. There are a couple of trips, a number that we're taking this summer. You're going to want to be a part of that. We're going to share more about those in March, first weekend of March. But one of the things is we've got this Mexico trip we've been talking about. It's, praise the Lord, we've got enough people to build two houses, but there still is space on that trip if you're thinking about it. Um, there's an informational meeting for those who are already planning on going, and if you're interested, it's next Sunday, uh, right after the second service. So if you RSVP, let us know that you're coming. We'll actually have food for you. How's that? So um, just a short meeting next week. You know, we're in this sermon series called This is Love, and we've been walking through the book of John together um, for a long time, and we're in this, I I would say it's this critical moment as we're leading up to the cross, right, and and the the resurrection and the, the height of the story, and Jesus is spending this really important time teaching his disciples the things that they and we need to know in light of what's going to happen to him the fact that he's going to leave them and now they have this new relationship going forward and that he has a purpose for them, right? They're going to carry on his work. And that's what we're doing today. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has a purpose for us to carry on his work. And here's the crazy thing. If you were here last week at the end of chapter 15, he says, and things are not going to be easy. In fact, he says, the world is going to hate you because it hated me. Now, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not, I'm not feeling really good about things right about now, right? <laughs> the world is going to hate you. And, and uh, he continues to talk about this, and he says, because of all these things, of utmost priority is your relationship with each other, your relationship with me, right? Because I'm leaving. What's that going to look like now? And your relationship to the world, this world that's going to hate you. That's a hard thing, and that's what we're looking at today. We're really continuing this conversation about what does it look like to be related to the world, specifically as as we're partnering with Jesus in our lives. So this is critical stuff, and here's why it's critical. Do you feel in our American culture this growing opposition to our Christian biblical worldview. 
You know, there, there are people in different countries that have been challenged and where Christians are hated and even martyred for their faith. And for us, it's been kind of distant, but I think we sense this angst in our hearts. And I, in my generation, and I, I think of my parents' generation, they're looking at their grandkids like these sweet kids that, that we dedicated today, and they're thinking, what kind of culture are they, gonna, are they growing up in, and what's it going to be like for them to be a follower of Jesus? The challenges are incredible. And so there's this sense of the older generation just trying to figure out, and, and the temptation is to, to protest, right? We want to fight it, what's happening in our culture. And that's a very natural desire, and then there's the younger generation. I see you sitting out here. I can't imagine growing up in this world realizing that if I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm going to hold to the biblical worldview, my peers are going to hate me. Some of them are going to hate me. That is something I did not have to face. And your generation has to face that. And so here's the question. I think that Jesus, here's, here's actually... The, the temptation, and this is my temptation, is to just be quiet. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm not going to talk about my faith. That's not the right way either. So we don't protest. We don't be quiet. And here's the worst thing of all. And you see it happening in our culture. Progressive Christianity says, I'm just going to fudge on the truths so that I don't have enemies. I'm going to change what Christianity is all about. That's not the way either. And so what God gives us is a better way today. And here's what I hope that we can answer this question together as we look to God's word. How can we stay the course, fulfilling our purpose as followers of Jesus in this world that is growing increasingly oppositional to our Christian biblical worldview? That's what I hope that God will teach us today. And I want to pray as we lean into the word together. Heavenly Father, I feel the weight of this. I feel the importance of this. As, as we are in this, this culture, God, I know that the hearts of those in this room, for, that we want to live rightly for you. And we know that this is challenging and it's becoming more and more challenging. And so I pray, God, that you would enlighten us, God, with your truth today, that we would hear it. And yes, for some of us, maybe we do need to have some correction in our lives. For others of us, we need encouragement. And for others of us, we just need training. We need to understand. And God, your word says, does all of those things. And so we invite your spirit to work powerfully among us today as we devote ourselves to your word, to hearing from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So picking up at chapter 16, if you've got your Bibles, please turn there. We're in John 16. We are going to have the, the words up on the screens today, and we also have notes on our Trinity app, and we also have a real sheet of paper in the back if you want to take notes on that. But uh, we're, we're picking up with Jesus. He's been articulating to his disciples what their relationship looks like to the world. And it doesn't look good, <laughs> right? They're going to hate you. And guess what? Um, that's where we're going to pick up. But here's the cool thing is Jesus reveals his heart. Look at verse 1. All this 
I've told you so that you will not fall away. Isn't that beautiful? He does not want his disciples to bail out, right? I want you with me in this all the way to the end. I'm with you. He's going to tell them later. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They're going to do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? But rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So as we've already said, if we hold to this biblical worldview, if we hold to Jesus, if we continue with him, we are going to be hated by some people. And all of a sudden, as our culture becomes more antagonistic, we actually see this could really, this really is happening. But we have to remember this, that Jesus has a purpose for us. And he says it's this. He says his purpose is that we would not fall away, that we would stay true to him and to his purpose for us. And he's going to make sure that we will not fail in the face of opposition to that extreme level of even death. He says, you, I don't want you to fall away. If it were up to me alone or to us, I would fall away. You see, I don't like to be hated. I would say this is, this is maybe what some would call a stronghold in my life. I remember being your age in high school. I did not want to be hated. I wanted to be liked. That was a big issue in my life, and it still is. When I was teaching in the classroom, and when, when it comes to sharing about Jesus, I didn't want enemies. I didn't want people to think I was weird or worse yet to treat me differently. I think that persecution is a reality of following Jesus. Eric Tonis took us to 2 Timothy 3, and he reminded us of this passage. Timothy's telling Paul, uh, sorry, Paul is telling Timothy, indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus makes it more clear now to his disciples what hatred is going to look like. You're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Now, that's not new. Um, the, the, the leaders were already doing that. Do you remember when the when parents came to the, of the blind man? Right? And they, they wanted the parents to testify. And it says, John tells us, they were afraid to testify because they, were, they would get kicked out of the synagogue for confessing that Jesus was Messiah. So it was already happening. But the synagogue wasn't just their church, right? It was the place of, of their community life. It was the social center. It was the political center. It was everything. And so he's saying, you're going to be rejected from this, your community. And then worse yet, he says, 
Some people are gonna kill you and they're actually gonna think that they're serving the Lord and doing this. Wow. And then to comfort them further, he says, I'm, and I'm going away. <laughs> you're, gonna, yeah, you're gonna have to face this, you know, and I'm going away. And this time, nobody speaks up. Do you remember last time he said that? Peter spoke up. Where are you going? But this time, they must have not spoken up because last time it didn't go so well for Peter, right? <laughs> if you weren't with us, Peter says, if everybody falls away, Lord, I won't. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And it's literally that word fall away is what Peter used, the same fall away that Jesus uses. And so this is how you're going to stand firm. He says, it's better. I'm going to send you the advocate, the helper. This is your secret. This is how you're going to do it. I love the word helper. Um, some, some translations translate advocate. I think that's good. When, when people are against us, it's nice to have an advocate. But I think the role of the Holy Spirit, when we look at all the things the Holy Spirit does for Christians, helper is a great way to summarize everything. He helps us. And so the helper is the way that we're going to stand firm in this world that's growing uh, more and more oppositional toward, toward us. And so uh, take a look, um, first of all, in your notes. Jesus wants us to know the Holy Spirit helps us to testify about him to the world. He helps us to testify about Jesus to the world, to this world that is oppositional. Now, that's amazing because we need help. Our role as disciples of Jesus is to do what he did, which is to testify to the truth of who he was and that he came to give eternal life to all who would believe in him. That's what Jesus testified to. That's what we need to continue to testify to. And he says, I'm going to give you a helper to do this. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God himself, is going to come. And he's already talked about the Holy Spirit, right? He said, he's going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. This isn't the first time that Jesus has brought up the Holy Spirit, but now he's going to talk about him three times. And so we're going to go backwards to 15, verse 26. It's just right before our passage today. And this is the first thing the helper is going to do. Picking up at verse 26, when the helper comes... I'm using the ESV because I wanted that word, the helper, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness about, because you've been with me from the beginning. You, you guys, it's easy to forget that we have a purpose. We have a purpose in this world, and it's this. I walk past this core value on my way to the office. It's going to be up on the screens here. Every day, it's like, maybe God moved my office up there because he wanted me to remember, yep, this is your new focus, right? In my role as discipleship and global missions pastor, we can't miss that, that God has given us a calling to influence our, our world, the world, with Jesus. And here's how we do it. You ready? We're witnesses. We're witnesses. The word, 
The verb form is to bear witness. And the NIV says to testify. We testify. That's how God has given us this role to carry on his kingdom work. And so we witness about Jesus. And this isn't new. In fact, when, when he commissioned his disciples in the, in the uh, book of Acts, Acts 1.8, look at how he commissioned them. These are the last words he spoke to them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, in Romania, and to all the ends of the earth, right? Everywhere this gospel is going to go to the entire world. And how is it going to do that? The Holy Spirit's going to help you because you can never do that on your own. And so the Holy Spirit actually testifies about Jesus. And he says, and you're going to do it too. I was reminded in our discussion of our small group this last week that the Holy Spirit, and, and we're just looking at three roles of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives us. The rest of the New Testament gives us a lot more of a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer is he testifies about Jesus in our own lives and about the gospel, and he helps us apply the gospel to our own lives. And it's out of that place that we then can be witnesses to people who do not have Jesus in their lives yet. But notice that Jesus tells his disciples that they will do the same because they've been with him from the beginning. You know, there is a difference between the witnesses that the disciples were, the first disciples, and our witness today. I think there's a lot of similarities, but Luke says that Jesus actually called his disciples apostles, right? They were the eyewitnesses to, who walked with Jesus, saw him, and heard him. They were with him in his presence. That's not true of us. We have our relationship with Jesus. It's a spiritual relationship, okay? But I want you to think about this word witness or testify. Sounds like testimony, right? We sang beautiful testimonies today, right? Living Hope is this beautiful testimony of how God's changed our lives through the gospel. But these high witnesses, Luke tells us, these apostles, they actually had a testimony, and they wrote it down. And that's what we're looking at today, right? What is the apostles' testimony? There are four of them, four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are their testimony given to us. So we testify to the world, not just with what God's done in our lives, but with who he is. And so when we bring people to the word of God, we bring the most powerful testimony because it's the truth. And that's why the spirit is called the spirit of truth. And so um, just a reminder that Jesus said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into and remind you of everything I've said to you. And so the fact that we have the word of God is a fulfillment and part of this teaching of Jesus on the Holy Spirit. We have the testimony of the apostles. And the book of John is one example. 
Um, right now, we have a, what we call an essential class that takes place at 11 a.m., looking at Luke and the book of Acts. That's another testimony. So do we need to know that testimony if we want to be his witnesses? Yeah, we do. And so I encourage you, if you're, if you're not a part of that and you're interested, it's open, you can go to that 11 a.m. across the way. So the role of the Spirit to testify is something that he does with us. It's our role too. And, and how do we testify? Well, we have a testimony. And we're going to get back to that. But I want to look at the second way the Holy Spirit helps us. Right? Remember, how does the Holy Spirit help us to not fall away, to stay the course in this world that's growing more oppositional to the Christian worldview? And the answer is, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of their need to believe in Jesus. That's number two. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of their need to believe in Jesus. Without conviction, a testimony is just a testimony. It's a story. It can go in one ear and out the other, right? You can read the, the testimony of the apostles in, in the Bible, and it just, unless the Holy Spirit is convicting, right, it's, it's not received. And so conviction takes the truth to heart, and, and it results in some sort of action. In this case, it results in faith. And that's what makes a person a follower of Jesus, is believing in him. And so the Holy Spirit not only testifies about Jesus, but he causes people to act upon what they hear. And you guys, this, this, friends, this is not our role. I cannot cause you to act upon what you hear. I can only testify. And that's the beauty of this passage is that Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, convict the world along with the Holy Spirit. He just says, uh-uh. The Holy Spirit will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I love how the NIV translates this. I haven't read it yet, so I'm going to read it to you <laughs> in uh, verse 9 through 11, 8 through 11. It says, when, the Holy, when he comes, this is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people don't believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I love the way the NIV translates the word. The verb is literally con to convict. But the NIV, our translation that we use here, translates it like this. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I think... This is a really good translation, is that when we're apart from Christ, we think we're right, right? We have this, this pride that thinks, I, I think I'm right. I think I can earn my way to heaven. I'm a good person. I don't need Jesus. But the Holy Spirit convicts of their need to believe in Jesus. Do you ever find yourself trying to prove somebody is wrong? Yeah. I think it happens in... Uh, Marital relationships, husbands and wives. How does that go? 
not very good unless there's a soft heart, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He softens the heart to receive his truth. And here's the thing is you and, you and I cannot, we cannot and we ought not to try to convict people. And I think that's one of the problems that we're facing is that we, we, we feel this angst over what's happening in our world today. You guys, the laws of our country used to support our Christian worldview. And now the laws of our country are opposed to it. Some of those laws, right? It started happening in the 70s. Sanctity of life, right? Marriage, sexuality, and most recently, drugs, <laughs> right? We're starting to legalize drugs in our country. This is not the way of wisdom of God. I was talking to, uh, actually, I'm reading through a book called Winsome Conviction. A, lot, a number of our Trinity staff are reading it. It was written by Rick Langer, who was former Trinity, professor at Biola, and Tim Muehlhoff. They wrote it together. We read chapter seven this last week, and we talked about it. And there's a story where Tim decides years ago, uh, he was teaching people how to talk about and, and be um, uh, and the, the pro-life position. And he said to himself and a friend, I think we ought to go to a, a pro-choice conference just to see how they talk about us. And so he and his friend went to a pro-choice conference just to see that, and they said they were actually amazed. It wasn't too uh, vitriolic towards them, but the hard thing for him, he says, is when we walked out and we heard the people protesting, the pro-life people, in most part, sounded angry, they were trying to convict. Wow. I listened to that, and I was thinking about our partnership with the San Bernardino Pregnancy and Family Resource Center. We just had some ladies share up here uh, back in November. Do you know what they do? They befriend. Right? They befriend these women and these families that are in crisis and trying to make a really hard decision, do I keep the baby or not? They don't try to convict them. Oh, they may try to convince, but there's a big difference there. I love the word befriend because it tells you what it means. <laughs> be a friend. And be committed to that friendship in love, no matter if they give their lives to the Lord or not. The very greatest thing we can give to people is the gift of eternal life through a relationship with Jesus. And so this doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth, but it does mean that we must do so through an attitude of friendship and love. <clears throat> I was talking this week to one of our rave moms. We also support a plur ministry that goes to raves to minister to these kids, their young adults, who are think this is the greatest thing in the world. And they have the same mindset. They befriend the kids. She was saying they literally camp with them when there is a camping raid, and they just make breakfast for them. Isn't that amazing? They befriend, and they hope to testify about Jesus. That's definitely in their heart. 
They want to see a friend become a brother or sister in Christ. And guess what? It happens. Sometimes it takes a long time to build a trusting relationship, but praise the Lord, it happens. This is one of the areas where I'm convicted in my life that I need to focus more on being friends with people who have different worldviews than me. Instead of avoiding them, I need to learn how to love them. And as you can imagine, as a pastor, my life is very much focused here, and I even homeschool my kids, so I don't even have that school relationship. And I've realized I need to be more intentional to expand my relational world if I'm going to have friendships like that where God can use me. And I think maybe some of you feel that way too. It's a goal for mine in 2022. But here's another goal maybe, is we just need to expand our love for people in our relational world especially the people who maybe are a little bit oppositional. When they see our love, I think it'll win them over because it's Christ's love in us. Back to this role of the Holy Spirit with conviction. The problem with conviction is that when it comes from us, it too easily comes off as condemnation. But when it comes from the Holy Spirit, that's where a life can change. And so there's a lot of debate over exactly what Jesus means as he explains sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm getting back to the word here. He talks about sin, and he, and he defines it, sin of not believing in Jesus, okay? They, they don't have eternal life because they've rejected him as Messiah, as Savior, and when he talks about righteousness, he talks about not being there anymore. It's like what, what, what helps us to see righteousness is to see Jesus, right? When we're worshiping and we're putting the spotlight on him, right? That's what righteousness looks like. And that's what he works in our lives. And then judgment is the fact that if you're not on Jesus' side, then the scripture actually says you're condemned already because you don't believe. And I want to take you there because I think this might be what John had in mind, what Jesus had in mind when he was saying these words. Let's go back to John 3.16. Just read this and listen to the heart of God. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And this is the verdict. Light, Jesus, righteousness, came into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. There's that word, hate. And will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Do you see how this is really tying in with what Jesus is teaching his disciples about the role of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit continues Jesus' work of exposing evil. Jesus didn't condemn, but people who don't believe in Jesus, he says, are already condemned. So we don't need to condemn them. 
we need to testify. Let the Holy Spirit convict. Our job is not to condemn, but rather to bring them good news. And that's what these examples of the Pregnancy and Family Resource Center and the Plura, that's what they're doing. And I know that's what a lot of you are doing in your relational world with the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, people in your neighborhoods. These are people who need to be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. And it's only something the Holy Spirit can do. We cannot, but we get to be a part of it. So here's how it works. I just wrote this out. We testify with the Holy Spirit's help. He's testifying through us. The Holy Spirit brings the conviction, resulting in a decision to believe. And then Jesus saves, forgiving their sin and giving eternal life. And we get to be a part of that. Here's a great example of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You would think that if, if we, we're going to see this happen, where are we going to see it happen? The day that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to the church, right? There's this beautiful picture, and I just want to take you there just to see how this worked. Peter preaches this sermon. The Holy Spirit brings to mind all this Old Testament, right? He's bringing to mind the truth of God. He's testifying about Jesus. He's just talking about Jesus. And then he gets to the end, and look at the response. In verse 36, here's his last sentence of his, of his message. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Then Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for us, all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. There's truth. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Lord, may we see the conviction of your Holy Spirit like that. Pour it out as you help us to testify about Jesus to people in our relational worlds. We pray, God, that you would do greater works than these among us. Jesus says one more thing. I'm going to close with this about the Holy Spirit, and it brings it all together. The Holy Spirit continues to guide us into all the truth. So we must rely on the Holy Spirit who guides us into all the truth. Look at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He's going to glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known 
to you. I want to apply this to our lives, but first I want to think about the apostles, right? They're hearing this. How did it work out in their lives? How did the Holy Spirit guide them into all the truth? Think about it. What are the epistles, the letters to Romans and Ephesians and Colossians, the book of James? What are they? They're the truth that the Holy Spirit led the apostles to. How do you apply the message of Jesus to our lives? How do we apply the message of Jesus to the challenges that we face in our culture and in our churches? That's what the epistles tell us. And so that's how it worked out. So we have been given all the truth in the word of God. There's a beautiful picture here of how that happened. It says that the Trinity, you know, our triune God, our one God, it says the Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus, and so he's giving the message, leading the apostles to the truth. And Jesus says, and and I'm giving that to the Holy Spirit, and everything that I have came from the Father. So this is God's message to us, and that's why we call it God's word. And think about the promise about the things to come. There's one more book we haven't talked about in our New Testament. What is it? The last book? The book of the Revelation? Do you know how John talks about that? He says how it came to happen. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And the Lord said to me, write down the things that you're going to hear. And so the book of Revelation is Jesus telling his church, the Holy Spirit, right, is is the messenger, what's going to come. So that's how it played out in the apostles. But I want you to know something. Paul when he's speaking to Timothy, is talking about the word of God, and he says this. He says, all scriptures are God-breathed, right? They're breathed out through the Holy Spirit. Same word, pneuma, is spirit. They're God-breathed, inspired by the breath of God, also known as the spirit of truth. Peter says, all the scripture was written through the hand of men, but... He says it was spoken from God by these men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see how it played out for us? And so we have this truth. We have all the truth. And what we need to do is apply it to our lives. This reminds me of our core value in closing. And uh, this is the, the picture on the rock I was there the day that the artist did it, and I took it that day. The Bible is God's story. It's given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. It is not only God's story. The Bible is God's truth. We live in a world that has redefined truth from being absolute to relative, and the world is falling apart because of it. And we have God's truth, and we need to make sure that we are not falling away from it, but we are holding fast. And we're letting the Holy Spirit guide us into how that truth speaks into the situations we are facing today. 
I love that Gil and Amy Medina, they're teaching a class called Clarity and Chaos this next hour, 11 o'clock. What are they wrestling with? The Christian worldview. How does God's truth help us to understand these hot topics in our culture of sexuality and gender and sanctity of life and race and critical race theory? How should we view those things? God promises through his spirit to guide us into the truth. And so we need to devote ourselves to knowing and to understanding not only how to think about it, but how to act on it, how to interact with other people who are opposed to it. That's the Holy Spirit's job of guiding us into all truth. So we can see how critical it is to know what God says in his word. And if there's any, the action point of this message is really, you need to know that this is what the Holy Spirit does. But one application for us to do, let's make sure we know the truth that God has given us in his word and devote ourselves to knowing that. That's gonna help us to not fall away when we face this growingly oppositional culture. And remember, it's not just survival. It's living out our purpose, right? To be witnesses. That's what we want to do, is to do what God has led us to do. So <clears throat> these are only some of the roles of the Holy Spirit. The apostles tried to work out a whole bunch more, and it's wonderful. It could be a whole sermon series. Maybe it'll be one of our essential classes, the role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life so that we might fulfill, be his people, and fulfill his purposes. He gives us a testimony, doesn't he? I want to draw your attention in closing to just one place that Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, and he is speaking to the Ephesians, and he's praying. He's telling them, this is how I pray for you, and this is his prayer, and I just want you to listen to this so Holy Spirit, listen for his role in it. He says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus the very presence of God in our lives, filled with the Spirit, living from that place with our helper right there, right there with us, dwelling in us. This is how we testify to the world. We don't do it in our own power. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it with the testimony of Jesus. 
John tells us uh, that Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and he says this. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, rivers of living waters will flow from within them. And then John tells us, by this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Folks, the spirit came upon the church right after Jesus left them, just like he said that he would. And from this day forward, to be a person who believes in Jesus means that we have the spirit. He has been given to us. We need to learn to rely on him and not ourselves. That's what we need to do. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. That's why many of us, when we talk about the moment that we come to faith, we say, it was the moment that I accepted Jesus into my heart. This is the moment I accepted Jesus into my life. And that's what we're praying for, for the people in our relational worlds, the people who maybe are opposed to our message. They are the very ones that God sent us out to make disciples of so I wonder at this time if there's anyone here today, you're just realizing, I don't have that, and I want that. I want the presence of God living in my life, giving me a testimony, transforming me from the inside out, then this is a great time just to give your life to the Lord. We lead people all the time in just admitting you're a sinner. There's the conviction of the Spirit. My, my unbelief is sin. And to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He died on the cross to forgive your sins, to give you eternal life, to choose to follow him. And for the rest of us in this room, we're in the C stage for the rest of our lives, aren't we? What does it look like to choose to follow Jesus in this situation? And what we learn today is the Holy Spirit leads us in that. And so I'm standing down here with you because I want to devote myself. And I'm going to encourage us to devote ourselves as Trinity Church to living more fully in this Holy Spirit that's been given to us. Because we cannot live successfully in this world that's growing more oppositional to our faith and live on purpose for Jesus without this type of relationship with our helper, the spirit of truth. And so I've asked uh, Thad Riley, one of our elders, to come and just pray for us together, and I would invite you to stand with me. And if you've made a decision today, we have prayer team will be available we would love to help you start that relationship with the Lord. Dad, thank you. Let us bow our heads in reverent prayer. Father God, Lord, you are a holy God, worthy of our hearts and our worship wholeheartedly. Lord, forgive us when we do not acknowledge that you are holy. Lord, when we put our own desires above yours. Lord, when we sin. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word that teaches us your character and your truth. For your son who died for our sin to be a covering for us. 
Lord, for your spirit, your pneuma, that breathes life into what we do, that moves us and motivates us, mm -hmm. that calls us out of darkness and shows us the truth of the mystery of Christ. Lord, we ask that we would follow your spirit as we go into the world, not to be a part of it, but to be witnesses. Lord, help us to be bold in the face of trial and persecution, because we know that the reward ultimately is to know you in your fullness. Lord, we thank you for all of these blessings. We say these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.